All right, as we uh, continue on in our service, I want to encourage you to grab your Bibles. Um, if you didn't bring a Bible, it's cool. Um, uh, you can grab one of the pew Bibles and uh, turn to Second, or I'm sorry, First Samuel, uh, chapter 31. It's page 252. Uh, if you're using the pew Bible like I am, 252. Are there in your life? Are there like um, seasons that kind of resonate with you all the way back to childhood? Like you did something every summer, and so you think of it like this, or you did something every winter, and so whenever winter comes along, you kind of. For me, um, does that make sense? Maybe not. I don't know. I'm rambling. For me, summer is, uh, and this is probably a weird thing, but for for me, summer is a time of repentance. Uh, I know Lenten is this, the Lent season is the season when usually we think of this is a time where we give stuff over. But um, in middle school, um, I started hanging out with a bad crowd, a really bad crowd. I remember the, the, it, started, it started like this. The really close friend of mine, one of my best friends, pulls out a wad of 20s. Like, I mean, a thick wad of 20s. And I mean, we're in middle school, and uh, I hadn't seen one 20. So <laughs> the wad was shocking. And I said... Dude, where did all that money come from? And he looked at me like I was an idiot, which I was. Uh, and he said, I've been selling drugs for like a year now. Um, there's a guy that, uh, that he was hooking. So this is the crowd that I ran with in middle school. And in middle school, uh, I committed all the sins that can be committed. Then we would move into summer. And summer... Um, Summer was like, my, my family's pious, right? We, we went to church. Um, and so summer, what you went, you'd go to church camp or CIY, something like that. Y'all do that? Go to church camp, CIY? And at CIY or church camp or whatever, you got religion, right? This big dose of religion. All those friends who I was running with are gone, and now we're singing about Jesus, like, for five days straight. And you get this, like, this, this like, injection of uh, you know, I, I don't know, I'm going to hell, uh, I need to get my life right, this sort of, this enthusiastic love of God, you kind of get this, like, blast of it. And uh, for whatever reason, when summer kicks off, like, that kicks off in my brain, um, because it happened every single summer. Because as soon as I went back to school, I started running with the same crew, like, this is my, this is my friends, these are my friends. And so, um, Dasha, I feel like I'm rambling, but I just, I sort of want to share the heart that this sermon comes from this morning. Uh, Dasha and I were sitting um, and talking this week as we were getting the chick, kid check equipment all ready, getting the, trying to get all these pieces of technology to fit together. And he made a joke saying, one of these days you need to preach a positive sermon. By that, he means something like happy. And, and I said, yeah, I should, but this is not that Sunday. So, like, I'm, I'm sorry about that. Um, and I, I don't mean to be a downer, but I do mean to be very serious because part of the great thing of going through the Bible chapter by chapter as we've been doing um, through the King series going through First Samuel is that like, I don't get to pick what I preach on because the Bible picks it for me, right? And, uh, and so uh, sometimes I like to pick, and, and next week Jack's going to preach. is going to be awesome. I can't wait for it. And then I'm going to kick off a series after that on Jesus where I'm just going to let my mind wander, and I'm just going to ramble on about Jesus for like eight weeks. I'm so pumped about it because I have so many random things to talk about Jesus. He's so awesome. Um, but this, 
this Sunday, I, I want to be real serious. And I know that this is not something that is popular or loved or wonderful or even sometimes pleasant. Um, but that's life. And so I, I want to talk about sin this morning. And I want to talk about how serious it is. And I want to talk about repentance and what it looks like to really come to God. And, and summer kicks that off in me. And I, I begin to think how can I love this amazing God more? How can I give him more of myself? How can I stop being so self-focused and self-centered and selfish and, and just wasting? I mean, I was thinking about time this week, about how time and the way that we trade off on time. Time is priceless. Like you realize like there's a digital clock with your life on it and it's like going down. And then it's over. It, it's, it's over. Every second that you have is completely priceless. And we sell it cheap. I sell it cheap. And so um, these are the thoughts that are sort of rolling through my brain as I pick up just naturally. And I pick up and I start reading <laughs> a chapter 31 of uh, the story of... Um, the death of Saul. I mean, that's what we've got here. It's the death of Saul. Um, remember with me just for a minute that, that we've bounced around a lot. I mean, you have, and I got it kind of laid out here. We were in chapter 26, we had Saul and David were kind of together. And then 27, David shows up. And then 28, we're back to Saul. And then we're back. So it's, it's bouncing around. And it's bouncing around, I, I, I believe, it's bouncing around to, to juxtapose David and Saul. And the thing that we've noticed with David as a character and Saul as a character is that they both make tragic mistakes. They both give in to vainglory. They both give in to compromise. They both give in to their own desires. They both sin greatly. They both, in some senses, walk away from God. And what's powerfully different between uh, this section here of David and this section here, these two sections here of Saul, is that when God confronts them both with terrible consequences for their sin, their responses are drastically different. Last week, if you want to pop on odcc.org, last week we talked about David. Today I want to talk about Saul. Remember with me the story as it goes. This is, this is where Saul finds us. So this is... Our world, right? We're over here. Israel's over here. This is the region we're talking about. If we zoom in a little bit more, this is the kingdom of Saul. This is the territory over which he reigns. This is Philistia or the Philistines. Those are the, his, his sort of arch rivals. They're, they're always kind of in here messing things up and attacking. And, and they're that brutal Viking warlike folks. That's what they're like. And if we zoom in, they've, they've gone from here in Philistia and they've marched north. Uh, here to this region right here. We'll zoom in one more time real close. They've come to Shunem. And then there's this mountain range that kind of kicks off down here and runs this way. Um, mountain range kind of like Appalachian Mountains, not like, like Rocky Mountains, you know, so you can kind of cross them. You can walk on them, things like that. And this is where, this is where Saul and his, his armies um, have camped. And so Saul is looking down from, from Mount Gilboa, looking down upon this Philistine horde, and he has just received the judgment of God that God says, I'm not letting you win this battle. And so this is a really dark period 
as he's looking down, he sees his own judgment coming. Just remember with me for a second, if we can even go all the way back to the beginning of the story of Saul. I mean, Saul was the first king. There was no kings in Israel. God was king. And the people clamored, begged God, God, we, we want to be like everybody else. All the other nations have kings. Can't we have kings too? We need a king too. We need to be like them. That's another sermon. And um, God gives into that, and he picks Saul. And remember, Saul, Saul was tall, dark, handsome, and humble about it. Remember? And it isn't like, like today, like politicians, like we do. Like we, we have a crap politician and a crap politician. We get to pick which one's crap, less crappy, right? And that's what, that's what we do. Who is like not as bad as the other guy? That's not what we got with God. Like God says, I'm going to pick the king, and he picks Saul. I mean, this is a recipe for success, just down the line. And yet what happens with Saul? He gets vain. He gets pulled aside. Bad things happen. Fear creeps into his mind. Compromise upon compromise upon compromise to where he is so far removed from God that now we're talking about his judgment. Where Now we're talking about his downfall. With this in mind, let's look at the text here. So look at your Bibles, please. and Follow along as I read the first First paragraph, if you're using the, the, um, the, ver- the uh, Pew Bible here, verses 1 through 7. The Philistines were fighting against Israel. So again, they're coming from here this way, and the Israelites are going this way down the hill. The Philistines are, are fighting against Israel, and the men of Israel fled before the Philistines, and they fell slain on Mount Gilboa. So imagine you're standing on Mount Gilboa, and you're looking down at kind of this very large, I mean, so this very large hill, and you just see the bodies, you're Saul, and you just see the bodies of Israelites littering the ground, blood and death. The Philistines overtook Saul, so they're rushing towards him. They, they overtake Saul and his sons, and the Philistines strike down Jonathan and Abinadab and Melchishua, and the sons of Saul. And the battle begins with hard press against Saul. And the archers find him. And he's badly wounded by the archers. And then Saul says to his armor bearer, draw your sword and thrust me through. Lest these uncircumcised come and thrust me and mistreat me. Better to die quick. His armor bearer would not, for he feared greatly. Therefore Saul took his own sword and he fell upon it. And when the armor bearer saw that Saul was dead... He fell upon his sword and died with him. Better to die quick. And then the men of Israel who were on the other side. So this is, this is people who are sort of over here, right? And the survivors probably as well. Uh, when they saw... Uh, uh, Verse 7, so and when the men of Israel on the other side saw uh, of the valley and those beyond the Jordan uh, saw that the men of Israel had fled and that Saul and his sons were dead, they abandoned their cities. So that's, that's this northern region here. Let's pop back here. That's this northern region here. They abandon these cities and they flee. They go and they hide. And the Philistines came and lived in them. So the Philistines are emboldened by this great victory, and they've killed the king of Israel, and they've, 
killed his sons, which his sons would have been the next kings, like the princes, you know this, kings and princes, and kind of goes down the line, so the king dies and the prince steps up. But now the dynasty is dead, right? They've all, the, and they, the, whole, the whole army's been routed by this much stronger force. And, this, and the Philistines, again, remember from previous sermons, man, these guys are bad dudes. And the Israelites have suffered at their hands greatly before. And so this fear that kind of sweeps through the northern region, and the people just begin to scatter, they just run, they just like, forget it, we're out and they just run and the philistines just move into these ghost towns and claim squatters rights i mean there's here it is that's intense i want you to hold in your mind the sort of human aspect of it we could put ourselves in paul's or saul's position um, or the the position of his sons we see this sort of human tragedy and this human death but i want you to be better bible readers than that because while we keep the the context and the story that we're dealing with in the, in the foreground, we understand that there's a larger overarching story, that there's a, a larger set of issues at work. And I want to keep those in mind. So we have, first of all, on this one level, this, this, this judgment, this, this, um, this death, this destruction of Saul and his company. And then we have uh, the bigger overarching story of remember how God has promised from from Genesis all the way, right, starting with Genesis through, he, he's, he's promised to be with his people, to protect his people, to, to care for his people, and to love his people, that they will have a purpose and a place. All of these promises for God's people are now threatened because who's living in the promised land? Philistines. And who's watching over and, and keeping, keeping uh, those cities and those territories Filled with the law of God, that they might be a Torah-formed people. They've all fled. And so we have the promises of God that are threatened here, but larger because if we, if we rewind even past Genesis, past Genesis like 12, and we go back to the garden, and we go back to the fall, there's a bigger story that's at work. The whole uh, trajectory of salvation doesn't come out of nowhere. Jesus doesn't just drop out of the sky and say, hey guys, I'm here to save you. He comes from God's people. God always brings salvation through his people. And so the entire story arc of the salvation of the world is threatened by this. When we read these stories in the Kings, I want you to keep that story, whatever we're dealing with, in front. But don't lose track, don't lose sight of the larger scope of all of this. That is a lot that is going on. And and where does all of this begin? With a very predictable word. A word that you've heard every, if you've been here every Sunday or you've been here most Sundays, you went to church camp from a very predictable word. And that word is sin. In fact, we use that word so much, there is no fear in it. We use that word so much, there's no awe in it. Awe, stepping back and just recognizing the destructive power of sin on the life of Saul, his company, the promises of God, the honor and glory of God, and the possibility of salvation for all that. I mean, there's, there's a lot that happens. And it starts with that first step. And and we live in a society that doesn't have any concept of sin the way the scriptures have concept of sin. I mean, we understand sin like the great, you know, we, 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 we transgress, you know, bullying's the big thing right now. If you bully, and that's terrible, that's bad, that's sin. But in terms of like a real stock 
fear of sin to which we pursue holiness, even eschewing things that might possibly lead us away from God. Maybe they won't, maybe they will, but I'm not even going to venture there because I'm so afraid of, of wandering away from there. Like that concept of holiness and that concept of sin are just, they're just gone. It's just gone. And it's hard for us as people to hold on to the scriptural picture when we are just a part of a society that doesn't value that. It's hard to think of sin when I watch Netflix because like every Netflix show is about sinful people and we laugh about it and we, I mean, it's just like, that's, 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 I laugh at these comedies in real life, this is, to, if I, I thought about, like, what if God, like, kind of came and just, and just sat and watched the way we live our lives? Watch, just, just spent, Jesus spent five minutes on Facebook. He would not click like on all the pictures that people put of him, just so you know. Just spent five minutes just. And so, um, all of this to say, I want to spend some time just talking about the effects of sin. That we see here with Saul. We see its disastrous, disastrous effects. First we see um, just the effects of sin, big picture, uh, with Saul. Saul is corrupted by sin. Uh, There's a proverb I was thinking of as I was reading this story. There's a proverb from Proverbs 28. And there's various proverbs, but Proverbs 28 talks about how um, it is, uh, how having a wicked or corrupted ruler is like, um, oh I've got it here. Uh, Like a roaring lion or a charging bear is a wicked ruler over a poor people. The wicked ruler, as we see uh, in in despotic governments, North Korea, Africa, we might look at some particular, maybe there's a politician that you could point to in America, I don't know. Um, we, We see the effects of people who are in charge and how their sinfulness kind of trickles down and causes mischief amongst the people. And I think that reading this story and maybe even keeping that proverb in mind allows us to take this story and kind of hold it at bay and say, well, look at that. It's a really terrible story, and that's too bad for Saul. But I'm not a king. I'm not a CEO. I'm not in charge. Um, And I really want to encourage you not to do that this morning. I really want you to take this story and own it. Because when I see Saul, I see me. In fact, uh, what I have discovered in my I've been in the church since I was probably five or six um, when my parents, uh, when I was adopted, and my parents got married and all that. We started going to church there. Um, and so I've been in church a long time. My dad was in leadership in the church. He was a deacon. Um, and we were at church, like, we're kind of like the at church every every day. Like, nobody else is there, and somehow we're at church. I don't know what's, <laughs> what's going on. Dad fixed things. So, I mean, I've seen the inner workings of the church since I was able to recognize it. And I've been in ministry now for 16 years. And I'll tell you what, I've seen more despotic rulers in the Christian household than I've ever seen in the governments of the world. And the way that we parent our kids is terrifying to me. Because we're so afraid of losing control when you never had control. Like, why are we all pretending like we got control over any of this stuff? Saul's story breaks my heart because I'm a parent now. Um, Laura and I were talking about this. We were driving down the car in the car to the, away from the um, uh, t- yesterday, and um, Emery was in the back, and I was like, "This is what my parents did." 
<laughs> you know, it's like a, sort of this weird moment uh, of realization for like, this is what my parents did. Um, Saul's sin was not his own. His sin echoed out and killed his children. And his sin echoed out and it killed the people who were around him. And I, I, I know that, and, and of course I know that uh, it's unlikely that any sin that I will commit will literally cause the downfall of a nation, right? I mean, it's unlikely that. It's unlikely that your sin will, will do that. Uh, but I want you to see how it works. The rock goes into the water, sploosh, and it goes out. And it affects everyone around us because there is no such thing as a personal sin. There is no such thing as a personal sin. There is nothing that you can do when you transgress the living God who has made this world so interconnected, so related to one another, that you will be able to do one thing in one corner of the world or your room or work or school or wherever and not have that ripple out and affect your marriage, your children, your friend, your family, your girlfriend, your boy, whatever it is, whoever it is that is around you, it will affect them. And if this morning we take off the blinders that say, I'm a good person, and we ask that question, how? Because every one of us, like we're all, like no one's sinless, right? Right? Please give me a right. Don't let me be alone on this one. We all have something to talk to God about today. We all have something to get right. The hypocrites are running, they're jogging, right? We're the people who are here saying, yeah, we're pretty messed up. We need help. We need to right our relationship with God and with one another. So we we all have an opportunity today to not be Saul to be David, to, to, to not be Saul. To, uh, to recognize the deleterious effects of sin and how that has corrupted those around us for us to take a step back and say, God, where am I wrong? And how can you heal me? Because all the songs that we sang earlier were true. And they have two things in their hands. They have love and they have justice. We have a God who loves us so incredibly, so deeply, that this is not the end of the story. But we have a few more chapters to go. And it ends with a vision of Jesus. That's love. But the story ends with the kingdom to come. And God reigning over all creation, renewing and setting up a kingdom where all knees bow to God. And that is a word of justice. And we have in our society and in our churches two terrible things. This great pendulum swing over here where God is this raging, wrathful conservative who wants to drop bombs on everyone flick you off the map because you cussed this week as you were driving. And we have the God over here who, who just wants to hug everyone and give everyone you know, participation trophies and, and say, you know, it's okay, let me just give you a hug. And both of those pendulum swings are so desperately and terribly wrong. And I, I imagine that you have grown up in a church that swung one way or the other. And my plea to you today is to recognize that we as church folks, especially as preachers and leaders in the church, man, we're as broken as everyone else. 
And we're trying to hit the middle, but you have to understand that today I don't know if you need love, and today I don't know if you need justice, but you need to recognize that God is both. He's both. And so if you find yourself in sin, as I find myself this morning, please recognize that there is a God who is just and will judge, and that God says, I still love you, and we can make it right. This is what Saul missed. This is what Saul missed. I want to warn you for a moment, too, about the effects of false repentance. Because an interesting thing about Saul is that as we have seen God come upon Saul and critique Saul, (laughs) critique is a gentle word, (laughs) that's that's my soft liberal version, (laughs) critique Saul, God has come to Saul and he said, Saul, I'm tearing the kingdom from you. Saul, tomorrow you'll be in the grave. Everything we know about God is that this doesn't have to be the final word. Everything we know about God is that Saul has the opportunity now to fall on his face and repent. And you know what Saul does? He falls on his face and he weeps. Do you remember that? Two weeks ago. I know I'm asking a lot. That was a sermon two weeks ago. Lots happened since then. No worries. But if you rewind back to chapter 28, you'll remember that once he gets that word, he falls on his face and he weeps. In fact, if you rewind even beyond that, back to chapter 15, when Saul first gets this message of judgment, he falls, he weeps, he begs. He falls, he weeps, he says, I'm sorry. But what do we not see from Saul? We do not see Saul turn from sin. That cycle that we go through, the cycle that all of us go through, where we have our pet sins and we come to church, especially Church of Christ people. I know some of you today, maybe are guests or visitors, you didn't grow up in our movement, but we, we do communion every Sunday. We sort of look at Jesus and we remember Jesus and this is sort of the place of the cycle for me where you sort of do this over again. Oh, God, I'm sorry I did it again this week and again this week and again this week and again this week. The problem with Saul is that tears don't equate repentance. Telling God you're sorry does not equate repentance. It is only a changed life that equates repentance. It is not what you say here today It is not what you say on Sunday. It is not what you sing on Sunday or pray on Sunday, confess on Sunday, bring to church on Sunday. It is what you do Monday morning. And we church folk have forgotten that. We've forgotten it. And this is a perfect time to recapture it, to recapture that fire because we stand before a God of power and justice and victory and might. We stand before a God who at the same time is perfect love and peace and comfort and stability. We stand before a God who invites us to participate in the perfection of his being. We stand before a God who we can say God is love and God is thunder and God is might and God is glorious. And we are invited to partake in the words of uh, the Apostle Peter in First Peter, to partake of the divine nature. Imagine the gift. Imagine the gift. 
that the one God who created heaven and earth invites you to partake even this, I don't know how much of the nature I get to have, but if it's even like a droplet is more than I could even possibly imagine in God's graciousness. You are, before you is an opportunity to take hold of the divine nature. But we only do that if we really repent. John the Baptist puts it this way. We like Jesus. John the Baptist doesn't get a lot of talk. John the Baptist, is the, he's the plower. He's the guy that shows up on the scene to get everybody ready so that they can hear the gospel. It's interesting that the first word of the gospel, as Richard Robertson puts it, the first word of the gospel is repent. Do you notice that? Jesus comes on the scene preaching his first sermon. Every single gospel has it. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. That the rule of God is on its way. Nothing can stop it. And if you would survive to live under that rule, you must turn to the king before it's too late. John the Baptist puts it this way. He says, the axe is at the root of the tree. And every tree that doesn't bear good fruit is cut down and cast into the fire. And this makes sense if you live in a gregarian, an agrarian uh, society, which we don't anymore. But if you're a gardener and you've got all these trees, these fruit trees, and you're, and you're growing them and, and you're harvesting from them and you're using that to, to create yield and so that there's money coming in and you have a tree and it's growing and it's growing and growing and then it's not producing leaves and it's not producing fruit. You might water it, you might fertilize it, but how long, how long will you keep that tree in your garden if it never produces anything more than tears? If it produces anything more than leaves? John speaking to individuals and to his society as a whole says that if the tree doesn't bear forth fruit, then God should cut it down because it's better used as firewood than taking up space. And God can plant in that space something that will produce fruit, something that will give forth something of a, something that will bear forth something of the divine nature. Because again, for, don't forget to keep in mind that this is about God and his glory and his divinity. And, and we are meant to bear forth that nature so that the world can look at us and they can say, isn't God glorious? Isn't God forgiving? Isn't God loving when, when, when things go bad and I'm not loving to them? And Isn't God amazing? There's something strange about that. We are to bear forth the fruit. And John says, listen, if you aren't, then what good are you? We might as well burn you up. So repentance is a terribly important thing. It is terribly important to get it right. To not play with it. To not think that you can say to yourself, well, I've done the steps. I've said the words. I've sung the songs. I know the Bible verses. Because none of those things equate to the fruit of God's love in a world that does not know it. I fear uh, for myself, I fear for many Christians, I fear, I fear for the, the church as a whole because I see lots of noise. But do we have a lot of fruit? There's a second, or third last, I should say, get my numbering right, um, a word, and that is to um, the danger of waiting to repent. 
Um, and I think that's probably what's true of all of us. Because whatever, uh, the, the, the funny thing about sin is it's like this terrible, it's this terrible, it's this terrible sploosh, right? And it ripples out. But we love the sploosh. Don't you love dropping rocks in the water? I mean, we love the sploosh. Whatever your sin is, I don't know what it is, but you love it. If you didn't love it, you wouldn't do it. You love it. And it is hard when you love two things to choose between them. And God says, you can't have the sploosh in me. You have to pick. And so what do we do? We cycle. We come to church on Sunday. So this is more for you church folk. Um, we come to church on Sunday and we, we cycle. We sort of start over again. And we come back and we start over again. While the sploosh keeps happening and ripples keep going. And the danger of unrepentant sin, the danger of actually like letting it happen to where we really say to God, all the Jesus I surrender, all the Jesus I surrender. Just as I am without one plea, but that thou blood was shed for me. Right? The, the danger of not letting these things really grab hold of our lives, shake our lives, transform our lives, is that it builds the sin, the sploosh gets bigger. The Saul is a perfect example of this. It started small and it continues on. You know these things. The second problem is the callous that builds. When you first committed that sin, you felt a little guilty. Second time, a little less, a little less, a little less, a little less. These are all words you know. Just like a callus on your fingers when you're learning guitar or a callus on your hands when you're working on a car, right? These things, these things build and build and build and build and build. And so no longer you, do you feel the pain of the sin. In fact, the sin, I mean, you used to, to watch the, the news and there's such horrible things. And you think to yourself, how in the world could people do that? Do you not think God says that about you? How in the world could people do that? Do you not think God says that about me? The callus forms... We don't feel. And in order to feel, what has God got to do? If the callus builds and builds and builds, God's got to cut deeper. I pray he does that. But I'm afraid of it. I'm afraid of it. And of course, the last thing is death. You think you got a lot of time, you never do. You think you got a lot of time, you never do. Not yet. I want, to tell, I want to tell a story. Um, I don't think I've shared this story here before. I think I've only shared it one other time. When I was in high school, um, I don't know why this story brought to mind this, but when I was in high school, uh, I was in gym class, and we were in the weight room. The weight room was sort of towards the back, and uh, there's a bunch of us hanging out there, and of course, no one's lifting weights, <laughs> right? It's gym class. <laughs> and, uh, and there are these three people that were, these, th- these you know, classmates of mine, um, a-, a boy and two girls. And um, uh, it, by this time, I had begun taking my faith very seriously. I mean, I was, I, was, I was always a weird kid, but it got weirder. I've gotten weirder over time. It just gets worse and worse. And uh, at that time, you know, so I, I mean, I... Um, I was teaching some Bible classes at church, and I preached when the minister was away a few times and things like that. I was really involved, and, you know, I talked about, I tried to evangelize, you know, things like that at school. And so it was well known that I was a Christian. So this is like senior, senior year, um, junior, something like that. Um, and uh, this, one of the girls, so th- this, this, these three were um, partiers, like the partiers. 
Um, and I really didn't run with that crew anymore, right? And so th- they were partiers. And, and the, the girl, uh, one of the girls said to me, and this is, I mean, I, I, I'm going to get the wording wrong. This was a long time ago, so forgive me for that. But she said something like, you know, like, why do you believe in God? Like, why do you believe all this stuff? Like, why, do you, why do you believe this? I mean, have you ever, have you ever had, like, imagine like the, like, I've never in my, in, in my ministry, as far as I can tell, as far as I can, back as I, I can remember, I have never had somebody, like, say, tell me about it. Go. <laughs> it takes a gym class in the weight room when no one wants to leave, lift, lift weights, I guess. And, and, and you just think, man, what an amazing opportunity to, to share the gospel, to just say, yeah, this is what, what I believe in. And, you know, I was, I was chill. We would have been friends if they had said forget it. And I assumed they were going to say forget it. I, I and I didn't really feel like talking about the God. I, like, I don't remember what it was or what was going on, but I just I didn't, I didn't want to deal with it. And so I made some stupid, I don't know, some excuse, some whatever. I don't even know what I said, but it was uh, just kind of brushed it off. And this is like a kind of story that you would never tell. Like you'd, you'd forget all about it, right? You'd never remember that, except for next, the next week. Um, they were all in a car, drinking and driving, and they killed someone. And I don't remember I don't remember all the details and jail sentences and how it all happened, but I remember and it has always sat with me. Who knows what would have happened, you know. But to not testify was sin on my part, right? And somebody else perhaps paid the price with their life. There are things that happen in your week that seem small and meaningless to you. Things that pass. Because life is so quick. And you probably looked at your Facebook twice since I started talking, right? There's so many things to fill our time with. So many things to distract us from the things that matter. But your time here is short. And my time here is short. And I want to encourage you to look at Saul and to say, I will do better than this. To say, there is one thing that I can set aside this week to focus on the things that matter. There is one sin in my life that I can give up because God is more glorious and I know it will be painful. Any sin, any sploosh that you give up is going to be so hard. It's going to be so hard. And that's why, I know this is going to come as a surprise and difficult for you to accept, but that's why God made a people so that when it comes time to fight sin, you can call someone and say, I'm fighting this sin. And because that person is fighting sin too, there is no judgment. You can't, no one here gets to look down their nose at anyone else. Like that's just out of the question. It can't, it can't be done. Because as I've said a few times, we, we are all Sinners at the cross, like there's nothing. And so the plea that I have for you this morning is to produce fruit. And every single one of you is capable of so much fruit. You think to yourself, I can't really do that much. That's a lie. I swear to God, that is a lie. Because you have participation in the divine nature of God. You are empowered by his Holy Spirit. Do you think he redeemed you for nothing? He redeemed you for glory, 
For his own and for your own and for the church's own and for your family's own and for your friends, for everyone around you that you might, as the scriptures say, shine like stars. We are made for so much. And when we look at David and when we look at Saul, we see the dirt and sin of real life. And what we should do as people who know more than they ever did, as people who have seen Jesus, as we should step out in awe and wonder and say, praise God, from whom all blessings flow. What does it look like to produce fruit? Um, please write down this text. This is the text that stood out to me in Titus chapter 3. I'll read this, um, and then we'll, we'll come to a conclusion. This is a glimpse. This is a glimpse. And this is Paul speaking to Titus about what he should be preaching, so it's appropriate that I read it. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to speak evil of no one and to avoid to avoid quarreling to be gentle and to show perfect courtesy towards all people even on social media for we ourselves were once foolish and disobedient led astray and we were slaves to various passions and pleasures passing our days in malice and Envy and hated, being hated by others. But, there's a glorious word of the gospel. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. Not because of works that were done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy. Washing and regenerating us and renewing us with the Holy Spirit whom he poured out onto us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior so that being justified by his grace we might become heirs of the kingdom of God. And so you are. And so should you live. Let's stand as we sing.